Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 21, Symbiosis. This episode is, um, well, it'll be interesting to talk about because... <laughs> If you want the Cliff Notes version, it's hard to call this episode anything other than the legit after-school special episode. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a pretty non-subtle <laughs> allegory that persists through, uh, through well, the entire episode. Well, there's a scene. There's yeah. a scene that is like, oh, this is the clip that they show at like the Teen Choice Awards or something. Exactly. Or the award for best integrated um, after-school special clip. Yes, yes. And, and to help us with, uh, with this subject content, uh, we decided uh, none other than Mr. Teen Choice Award himself, uh, Jeremiah, is uh, joining us again on the show. So, Jeremiah, thanks for coming back. Well, I, I, just so you know, have completed the, uh, the D.A.R.E. training, so I'm ready to go with this. <laughs> you have all prerequisite background material memorized and at your disposal. Exactly, exactly. Yes. I, I feel like we shouldn't be afraid to just dive right into the elephant in the room, which is that scene, right? Because a lot of this episode actually, uh, I feel like, works, but, but that scene is... It's kind of a microcosm for the rest of the episode, right? Mm. Kind of. In a large, in, in a large way. Yeah, because we're, we're basically talking about the scene where, um, you know, Wesley has some serious questions about why, you know? Um, looking at this, uh, this situation and this planet full of people, which eventually they learn are drug addicts, he, you know, asks the question about why would people become chemically dependent? And uh, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, Tasha Yar basically turns around from her post and kind of pulls him under her wing and is just like, well, Wes, let me tell you about drugs. Drugs can make you feel good. They make you feel on top of the world. You're happy, sure of yourself, in control. But it's artificial. It doesn't feel artificial until the drug wears off. Then you pay the price. Before you know it, you're taking the drug not to feel good, but to keep from feeling bad. And that's the trap. All you care about is getting your next dosage. Nothing else matters. I guess I just don't understand. Wesley, I hope you never do. Well, and, and to be fair, this is a really good use of Yar. Maybe the best yes. we've seen. Yes, right? they, absolutely. They, mm-hmm. they could have had they could have had um, Data do it. They could have had Jordy do it, or Picard, or Riker, and it wouldn't have made it as much sense, right? They would have just been like, "Well, I'm not really sure because we live in this utopian future, and uh, I don't know, I'm writing a book or something." So, well, one and, problem one problem that I have with her speech and the reaction to it, I've read all over the internet, everyone says it's the just say no speech, is that it didn't sound like that to me. Like, Yar sounded like someone talking about, man, drugs are it's complicated, and, you know, people will do it for different reasons. Like, it sounded like a sort of nuanced speech. Yeah, yeah, I, no, I like that scene, actually. No, no, I, like I think that's a strong scene. I, and it's coming from a place where, yeah, life on the planet I grew up on sucked. And Yar has established that, right? right? And it's like, yeah, when your life sucks, sometimes you you do things that from the outside looking in would be dumb. And it is. It's a great place for Yar. It wasn't the just say no speech because the just say mm-hmm. no speech is all about, you know, drugs are terrible and there's no reason to take drugs and only stupid people take drugs. And you're not stupid, are you? And 
and Tasha exactly. coming from a planet which you know had some real messed up stuff going on all the time um, came from a much more realistic place where it was like honestly Wes when your life is terrible drugs are the one thing that make you feel not terrible it made me think that Yar came from the 80s planet and um, <laughs> Wes was talking what? in the 24th century like yeah, it was there. in the context of Wes having grown up in this super utopian society where they don't have money and there's no homeless people then it makes a lot more sense for him to say what he says right yeah and Yar's like no, no no there's some real bad stuff out there right and it's complicated right so in that context it makes sense watching this in the 80s especially in that culture oh, I can see taking it a very different way right well and it is it is clearly that clip that is almost designed to be that clip that could be just shown and say hey you know this is this is something we talk about on the show and we're good at you know talking about hard issues and it's that after school special moment sure but um, it's better. It's a better thought out version of it, which I think what we're we're saying. It's a better thought out version of it than I think I've seen in any other show of yeah. this era. Certainly, at least yeah. of this era. Yeah, I think um, I think we were each individually saying before um, we started talking about this show that we were really glad that we read up on the reception uh, at the time uh, for this episode because that scene was, I think, largely kind of you know the fans kind of went ugh yuck. But but I think we're all kind of landing in a place now where it's like you know it's it actually it, it kind of worked it was kind of it was kind of nice it I sort of bought it um, yeah and Paul I think your point too about uh, this being the most effective use of Tasha Yar we've seen I think that's accurate but I do also think that's maybe a little sad because it's not like it was the greatest <laughs> thing a character's ever done on the show it's just like oh I buy that because of Tasha's established background well yeah. and if we're gonna I mean, we could stay on uh, Tasha here, um, and I have in my notes. So, uh, and, and this is this is something we've seen a lot of: just the misuse of Yar to just go to the other side of this coin. That um, is she the transporter chief? Because she's <laughs> like she's always there, you know, working that, and it, she's always doing these weird, odd jobs, and always ha has this specialized knowledge. Like, well, what if we was it interlock the the streams and like all this stuff that. It's like, well, aren't you security? Like, I, I get it if yeah. you're good at something else, but frequently it's just, oh, we need a character, and we need them to be, you know, running the warp core. Oh, I bet Yar can do that. Right. And that's weird. I I really like the scene when they they save these they save the Logans run aliens and the junkie backwards aliens <laughs> and they discover that they have the shock powers like they're human oh, yeah. tasers right which is awesome i love that cuz it's just flavor that only comes up once or twice and it's not it's not critical to the episode but it's like flavor i liked it a lot but then Riker and Yar are walking away having this very interesting conversation about that a how do we keep the security you know the security implications but B, they're also just curious. How does that work? How much power can they put out? You know, it's it's a really sort of a fun scene. This is my favorite Yar episode for moments like that, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I also thought that scene was, was good because they reacted to that situation like Starfleet officers should with right. a, a mixture of caution because, okay, we've got to watch out for that, but also just straight up curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. That they were just like, mm -hmm. I want to know how that works. Like, did they evolve it? Was it because of all the crazy stuff their son is doing? You know, like... Yeah, they they tossed out some weird things that 
probably couldn't have done it. I don't, <laughs> sure. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how much I want to nitpick on any of it, but they did say, I forget which one of them. And, and sure, they don't know, and they're tossing out ideas, so maybe it's just that fun conversation. But one of them tosses out like, well, the sun's magnetic field is really, really strong. Maybe that's it. It's like, well, and, and maybe Jeremiah could speak to this. Um, I, I, didn't, I was strong... not specifically offended by that statement. Okay, well, how strong, though, would the sun's magnetic field have to be in order for it to have a any sort of appreciable effect on a planet? Let's say one AU, one astronomical unit. Oh, it, very strong. Um, well, yeah. okay, on the other hand... Um, Enough to rip apart the star? It'd have to be spinning really fast, let me put it that way. Okay. But okay, so okay. then, well... That this is a conversation for a different podcast. <laughs> yes, I, I was just going to raise my hand as the resident non-scientist in the room yes. and say, yeah, exactly. uh, time out. Uh, <laughs> so, but, well, we saw the star and it wasn't spinning really fast. But I mean, that's all, that's all I want to nitpick. On. I don't, uh, it's, it was a weird comment. Well, I liked it and the flavor of that conversation, though. Did you guys, give... um, speaking, of, uh, speaking of Tasha Yar, good uses and bad uses, um, I caught this right away in the episode and I wondered if this was a bit of foreshadowing and or getting the audience primed for this. But did you guys catch that uh, Tasha Yar was sharing her tactical station with Lieutenant Worf at the at the very beginning of the episode? Um, I did notice that, yes. I didn't think about it too hard, but yeah. Yeah, because I'm, I'm literally, as I'm watching this episode, I'm like, uh, how far along are we in season one? Because for a second I was oh, like, oh. I wasn't sure if she was still there and then she said something. Because mm -hmm. the initial part of it is... You know, when they're approaching the sun and then they get, you know, they're there for the scientific mission, then they get the distress call. Worf is handling all of that. And that would traditionally be, uh, you know, that's a yard job. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of what she was there for. So and, the elephant in the room is um, how afraid are we of spoilers for the rest of the season? Let's, you know, I think we've referenced around it, but let's, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think it's a secret that Tasha Yar does not stay on this show, <laughs> right? right. Um, and we're getting very close to that moment, I think. Oh, is, yeah. Is oh, yeah. What we should probably say and leave it at that. But Well, and, and, and I mean, from the trivia side, this is her last appearance from a production order now production order is very different from air order so that's not that's saying much mm -hmm. um but that's yeah. that probably influenced a lot of the things that are going on in this script mm -hmm. right um this was her last being there on the set yeah yep yep and yeah. it's it's i really finished this episode going that was the greatest yar ER episode that was awesome i loved it I can't say, I can't wait to see more of this character. <laughs> you know what was? Oh, you know what no. was? <laughs> do you know what was also weird though, character-wise? I think Troy had one line, maybe two, oh, in the beginning. Remember? Yeah. yeah. He has a line or two in it, and then it's like, oh, well, again, we run into some people who, hey, it would be great if we could like ferret out this deception. Um, that oh, do they know? Do they not know that this is that this cure that the um, I'm forgetting the species, the race's names. Um, help me out, Burns. The, they uh, they're like Onarans and and um, oh crap. Uh, I just yeah, so I, 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 let's thing. just let's just refer to them as oh, Jeremiah Onarans already and did. Brecca, no Brecca, Breckians, Breckians, yeah. and the Onarans. But I really think it's the Logan's Run people and the Hillbilly Backwoods people. I mean, I think oh, yeah. that's that's who they See, are. I oh, honestly yeah. get this con this episode confused occasionally in my mind with that one where they have uh, all the the people in the the cargo bay and they have like animals and stuff there. 
Oh, oh yeah. uh, up uh, down the long ladder, up the long ladder, something like that. That's that's the name of that one. <laughs> it's the one with the uh, um, the romantic involvement with Riker and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the redheaded Irish the lass daughter. in space. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So yeah. one one um, before we move on too far from Yar, the one last thing, and you guys probably noticed this on the wiki, and I did catch it in this last watching, is the last scene where Picard and uh, Crusher are coming out after basically this is the denouement out of the cargo bay. Yar is just standing in the background, like way in the background. And right before the door closes, she like frantically waves at the screen uh-huh. at the camera. Uh huh. And I thought that was so, so cute, so adorable. Yep. Yeah. I was like, oh, little Easter egg in there for uh, yep. for everybody. Um, I, so I wrote down just under stuff that I really liked. I've, I've got a bunch of random notes about this. The first note that I wrote about this entire episode was David you Klingon bastards you've murdered my son because uh, <laughs> the guy who played David in uh, Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan is totally Captain Groovy McAwesome who is the uh, the oh. chillest captain uh, yeah he's he's the dr- <laughs> drugged out space freighter captain um, yeah. I thought he looked familiar actually together, yeah. I think yeah. all four of those aliens maybe not the woman but at least three of them are reoccurring characters and different bit characters yeah the um the guy who um the guy who was the captain of the other or the 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 male leader from the other group was uh he showed up as a romulan in a voyager episode which yeah which is pretty obscure but i was like (laughs) why do i recognize him and then i went to the notes and went ah yeah 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 so there's a veritable who's who of uh of of trek background players uh, absolutely which does happen quite a bit and that's one of the fun things about watching these shows is um a lot of secondary like one-offs or guest characters like will show up recast as different people oh yeah they make the rounds among especially in this era and especially between other series yeah yeah Yeah. i also wrote uh in the 24th century we have not devised a defense against solar flares like really like hey uh-huh. <laughs> Look, I, I my first I have a page of notes, and the first giant paragraph is how much I really liked the open okay. and the sciency part of this episode. Okay, because I liked that it explains a lot of things they can't do in the episode, and it's a real reason. Like they show up into the solar system, and they're just doing cool astronomy, and they're like, "Oh, this star is doing crazy, wacky stuff. This is super cool, and let's go study it because that's." theoretically the mission of you know it's not all just responding to distress calls as the cold open right oh well then they can't they can't save them easily because the tractor beam doesn't work and they, you know if everything i like to think that the enterprise responds to these kind of calls occasionally and everything works fine and they're just like oh beam 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 yeah. hey we saved Boring you all. good job <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. but you know that they, they can't teleport them out they have all the problems with that and and explains sort of it all sort of holds together, I think. I really enjoyed it. And it gave that flavor of they're explorers. They're checking out cool astronomical stuff, right? The thing that so, I thought was kind of nice was the uh, they really did commit to the idea that the ship systems were, were getting messed with because uh, that yeah. production effect that they had with all, like, the consoles <laughs> yep, and stuff, yep. like, getting zapped. Like, that was, like, all the time, basically. Like, yeah. they were just that mm-hmm. entire opening sequence. Yeah. They're like, zap, you know, stuff is well, just... And- the Enterprise view of its shield with its crackling shield. I know later in the show that's all the time, but that's that was sort of a like that's I think that's the first time we've seen that, right? Yep. Where is it? The shield. Yeah, that's in the uh, that's in the trivia. They uh, I'm reading up on it. They, they they had a bowling ball trickled with salt, and the salt was bumping off, and then sure. they did something. 
And it's like, oh, this is a pretty cool practical effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did a nice job. But it's it. everything hangs on that one idea though, right? It's they don't need multiple excuses for a bunch of different stuff, right? It's it's sort of very consistent and it makes the episode very interesting, I thought. Yeah. So I, I do feel like the like I'm the old man like kids get off my lawn. <laughs> but could, could, could either of you tell me um why you shouldn't look at a total solar eclipse? Uh, because it will burn your retinas, like yeah, you'll you'll go blind, right? Um, yeah. and and what they do is is take like like an MS Paint circle and they just kind of drag it <laughs> onto the onto the sphere of the sun, like just uh-huh. leaving the chronosphere and um and and it was really bright, like they were like oh no the sun's too bright and 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 it gets darker because they just shield the the, the main disc of the sun but not the chronosphere, and then they keep looking at it and sure the probably the screen like you don't know if that's the yeah that's it's the viewer right it's not the window <laughs> yeah it's always unclear what they're doing there like if they could just make that part transparent or. But um, I thought that was one of the weakest effects in it, where they just kind of drag and drop. It, it really <laughs> felt like somebody had had a PowerPoint slide open, and like, okay, create black circle. Well, right especially just drag that up. <laughs> video and image special effects back in the '80s weren't exactly what they. I know they, they, right, they could have cut it a little cleaner, is all I'm saying. The drag of it, like the computer would have just put it on the disc. Oh, I thought it was Yar back there, just by hand. Just like, oh. <laughs> she okay, had, that makes like, me feel a little better about it. Oh, it's, oh, it's O'Brien, yeah. It's <laughs> O'Brien down in the image processing lab. <laughs> Which is why he lost that job and got demoted over to Transport <laughs> They were like, Chief. O'Brien, someone went blind. Yeah. <laughs> we should have made the circle a little larger. Yeah. No, uh, 80s effects, man. What are you going to do? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, two, the two big things about this episode, um, I've got a bunch of other random notes, but I, th- I think, you know, we, we hit on the, um, you know, allegory for addiction, which I also thought was really interesting because uh, this show's getting off the ground in the 80s. I felt like it was very, it was a message written very much for the time, you know, about uh, the, the cocaine crisis and, and, uh, you know, those kind of things. But um, the part of it that actually I think does go beyond um, the time and the just say no messaging is this is a pretty good, I think, prime directive episode. Um, I, I mean, I, yeah. I think so. Just because yeah. initially when it got pulled out again, I, I actually have two conflicting notes where I literally think as I was watching and I was like, oh boy, here we go. And then it kind of like won me over. Um, because when it first gets trotted out, I'm like, yeah, the prime directive, but on the other hand, just help them. Um, but well, I, I feel like the resolution I, to this episode kind of brought it back around, but yeah, I'm curious to see what you guys think. The question I have is if they would have helped the first, um, the, um, what are we calling them? The junkies, the Lurgans run people. Um, yeah, the first people they ran into that, that had the problems with their ships that were yeah. really kind of dumb about their ships. The backwoods junkies. Yep. yep. Yes. If they had only run into them, yeah, and they hadn't had this problem with shipping and all that sort of stuff, it seems like Picard would have helped them um, fix their ships. Yeah. You know, they would put in those coils, and they would just been like, okay, go on your way. Um, yeah. and, and that seems like something to do frequently, um, and, and particularly in later seasons. Um and that he only had this crisis because um, there was a conflict, right? That they don't they don't mitigate conflict, even though they might have if they you know ran into one or the other. If they ran into these people and they said, "Hey, we have a plague," and like maybe you know we were waiting for the shipment, but it didn't show up, they would have brought them in, and Beverly would have said, "Oh, you're not sick, just like 
chill out. Yeah, take this methadone, you're fine. Yeah, they definitely would have done that. It does not mm. feel like it would be too um, so, outside of a normal procedure. The initial, like... the initial reason why I wanted to do this episode when we, when we first were going through who's going to do what episode was because I thought of it as a tremendous um, prime directive episode. And watching this again and really thinking about it, I think the enormous problem with this episode when it comes to the prime directive is how do you decide who the prime directive applies to? Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, because the prime mm-hmm. directive doesn't apply to Romulans. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and and Picard's speech at the end is pretty... Um, I'll, I'll agree with you, Burns. It's a good speech. History has proved again and again that whenever mankind interferes with a less developed civilization... No matter how well-intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. That, I think, works. As long as he's applying it to everyone. Right. Um, And that makes sense. And that does start to be truer to what it will eventually become. But I also see that, that other side, that at this point, it does feel like if they ran across some people who barely know how to drive freighters from planet to planet that they would just help them and interfere with them I mean turn yeah. the episode on its head a little bit imagine that it wasn't actually this sort of sinister drug relationship it was one planet had the drugs and the other planet was like sort of getting it together but neither side was nefarious I feel like they would have helped both of them you know what I mean like it would have yeah. been oh okay mm-hmm. well I wow I when I got here I don't think I ever would have put myself in a situation where I think I would be defending this episode and its application <laughs> of the prime directive but hear me out um, yeah. because I, I did do a lot of thinking about that specific point because originally I was like this is a dumb prime directive episode and then the more I thought about it I actually kind of came around on it because one of the things that's the sticky widget about the prime directive is that and, and Picard kind of touches on it on his speech in the end um, it's not a set of rules it is a principle yeah. right and it's it's sure. so there um, while prime directive is you know Starfleet's general order number one or whatever it's not like there's a whole list of guidelines underneath it so, and while you can say that's maybe a little too vague or how, why would they do that, on the other hand, I think it is sort of up to the interpretations of captains of the starships because sure. the way the Federation is organized, it's, it's impractical to try to write out every single possibility that you can run into. You, you never would be able to. Right. So they, I think they would forever be caught in a situation where if they had a huge list of rules, they would either be you know, not inclusive enough or still overly vague. And so I think essentially what it is, is it is it's this philosophy of captains to look at the situation, assess it for, for what it is, and using your best judgment, try not to interfere. And I think right. I think the difference, Paul, between the example that you brought up, which is like, you know, what's the difference between running into every other like podunk backwoods freighter that they help out, which they do a lot. And this situation is... Um, it became abundantly clear as the episode went on that the implications were beyond just fixing a freighter. Because if it was just like, a, oh, your freighters are broken, cool, we'll help you. But as they learned you know, the situation on the ground, it became very much a situation of, if we give them these coils, we're enabling this toxic relationship. And, and, well, I, think, and I think that's why in my eyes, I, th- I, felt like, I feel like it kind of redeemed itself a little bit. Yeah, uh, I guess part of it is just that there isn't enough time uh, um, in a lot of other places they would fix it fairly quickly 
right? They don't right. try to get at that root cause. And what Picard is sort of saying at the end um, is that the reason we say never is because we're not trying to break this down and say, well, in this situation, it shouldn't have a big impact um, because it's hard to to predict the impact of small actions. Well, when, I, uh, there's a difference between helping somebody, like if they had, we know how to fix this, we just don't have the part, versus we don't have the technology to fix this. Well, and yeah. yeah, he says like, can you try rebalancing this or something? I think Jordy says it. And they're like, uh, sure. Uh, how do I do that? Right. Yeah. And that's kind of their canned response at the beginning is, uh, like, do you have shields? And like, um... Uh, Mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Let me, let me check with this other guy. What, what I took away from that, though, was that, um, like, I, I feel like uh, Patrick Stewart did a really nice job of, of acting in that situation because I, I feel like that is a situation that nobody in, in Starfleet is really trained to come across, right? Like, I, I feel like that's a thing they don't just happen upon every day where it's like there's an assumption when people are already in space doing what looks like a milk run between two planets, right? Where it's like, oh, okay, right. so this is yeah. their level yeah, of technology. Yeah. This is what they do. This is, you know, normal for them. Mm -hmm. And at some point, they kind of reach that tipping point where it's like, these guys aren't just playing dumb. They're literally dumb. Like, they don't know how any of this stuff works. Like, so I, I feel like a lot of that was them getting to the point to really understand how badly their their civilization had decayed. And the fact that, you know, they were flying these freighters that they knew nothing about because they had one left that still worked, you know? Well, so. uh, and it's a trope that was used in um, When the Bow Breaks, right? And, and I think we talked about um, this idea of a culture that has technology that they've forgotten how to use. Right. Um, and how poorly done it was done there. Um, I'll give you that. It, it's probably better done here than it was there. Yeah. Um, I think we were reaching back then for examples of it. And this is probably one where... This is a better use of it, where you still have ships and they still barely work, and you just have a, a really poor tech manual that says, "Well, press this button," mm -hmm. and somebody just wrote it down last week. But yeah, um, it would it would be like um, you know the thing that, that that I was getting out of that was it's like all the ships were still there and they still had all the operators' manuals, but nobody had a service manual, right? Like nobody knew, yeah, yeah. you know. So everybody knows how to push all the buttons, but once <laughs> right. those buttons stop working, there's like. Pfft, I don't, I don't know how to read. <laughs> I never learned to read. <laughs> so actually, so one question that I had about this episode is sort of a niggling thing. I let I let it go sort of in the broader sense of things, but they knew very little about the system. They were just coming here to look at the sun, right? Yeah. And it seems like one of these planets had this not happened, had space travel and had, I mean, they, they at some point... Um, they, you know, that planet calls the Enterprise and is like, hey, where's our drugs, right? <laughs> and so it seems like they sort of knew, could find them, could contact them on their own. could. So it seems like they actually had quite a bit of technology. Mm -hmm. um, and none of the people on that ship seemed freaked out at all to be rescued by this enormous, super advanced you know, spaceship, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. what was their mm -hmm. level of contact with the outside world? <laughs> was it literally 200 years ago a scout ship showed up, scanned these planets and went, cool and then nobody ever showed up they never talked to anybody and then the enterprise shows up yeah well we've had planets like that we've had planets where they had federation contact um a long time ago angel uh was it angel one. one yeah yep um where they had contact like 60 or 80 years ago right. and they're like well we just have this this thing that some guy wrote down 80 years ago but then we uh just kind of forgot about it right mm -hmm. but like, they seem they seem perturbed non-perturbed when they get rescued to the level of 
yeah, this happens every day. Right, we completely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> understand. Like we saw the Enterprise come into the system, and we know who it was, and and then they saved us. Good job. Like I don't know that that felt like a weird disconnect where they're supposed to have yeah. no nobody else could help them with their ships. It yeah. seems like anybody else could have come along, and they'd be like, "Hey, can you help us with this?" Yeah, that's thanks. True. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it raises questions of where the ships came from. Um, if they were, uh, and then this goes to a, 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 another question, but did they build these ships on their own from scratch? Um, or did the Federation or the Romulans or the Klingons ever go there and give them ships? Like, is the te- why is the technology so close? Uh, is this just something that everybody independently comes to when they're building these kind of ships that, you know, you need these cells and you need, the, you know, a teleporter and all that sort of stuff? Um, yeah. And then also the question of is... Are these two planets, um, again, sort of back to the bear people and lizard people, um, <laughs> is the idea that they were originally on just one planet and then they colonized the other one and then, you know, just developed these two different cultures? Or are they saying that they both evolved in parallel to the same level? I think Data on two says different that. Planets? Like, um, I think Data says that they were this, uh, they, they basically developed like simultaneously. Yeah, because um, he has that conversation where he's talking about, um, you know, the, the historical context and the scout ships. Yeah, exactly. The scan. And at that point, the backwoods hillbilly people were actually the ones who were like pulling away technologically like they yep. were yep. developing ships and they were, you know, um, and then presumably then this scout ship like was there like probably right before the plague happened before that was right. a thing. Right. Um, so, I mean, but I do have that written down in my list of, like, bad stuff about this episode because I just don't think that's a very effective trope where it's like, in a world where you imagine two planets in the same system, two well, at peoples, least, you know. At least make them bear people and lizard people, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they didn't well, even go that far. <laughs> well, I mean, they sort of did. I mean, it's backwards hillbillies and, like, you know, Logan's <laughs> run people ready to go to Carousel. Like, it's... <laughs> Well, they do have, right, they have some um, distinguishing facial features, like, uh, on the, the bridge of their nose. Barely. That make them look like they're the same species, though. Yeah. Which yeah. does lend more that, like, one of the plants was developing and then some people colonize the other one, right? That does Maybe. I took it more as... Make more sense. Yeah, I took it more as, like, one of the, gr- the groups was, like, like, the Romulans were to the Vulcans, only they were lazy and didn't go as far. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like that's supposedly the evolutionary path of the Vulcans versus the Romulans. They were like one people and then evolved separately. Right. Um, so I think they were going for that kind of a vibe. But I think yeah, anytime you, it just doesn't seem very plausible to have them be that close and have them be you know almost identical yet oh so but, different culturally. But I love I love the detail. One of the backwoods guys, their their clothes were to the point where. One of the guys was wearing like overalls, yeah. like yeah, a clearly space like space overalls, but it was made so that it was uneven, like like a backwards <laughs> guy would have like one of the one of the clips undone and it would be hanging. Uh-huh. Like it was it was pretty amazing. I, I like that tremendously. I also have just under a couple of random notes. Um, <laughs> do you guys remember when they were doing the transporter rescue and then they had to talk through, uh, you know, Captain Groovy McAwesome about how to. Uh, <laughs> how to interlock the transporters and he's like do the what and the who now and then they get him to do it and then they beam him over and it's not them and like my initial reaction was like the crew was cargo pods the whole time because <laughs> they just stare at it for a while and they don't like have a reaction <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and it's just like, like, wow, these people are dumb. Like, <laughs> as dumb as a yeah, there's a lot of dumb pod. people in this episode. Uh, oh, I, I have a note that uh, that the cure, like, the cure is just red lentils. Yep. Like, it seems like they would have figured that out. Yep. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they really bragged up those red lentils where it's like, oh, we do, did a lot of work to this. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look yeah, like it at all. It's just like, oh, it looks like you opened a bag of red lentils. I, like, you know, you're supposed to soak them. I also have the, um, it's clear that it's not a freeze frame because uh, the actor who's taking him hostage is still talking. But the, <laughs> but the look on Riker's face oh, yes, yes. <laughs> when he's taken hostage, <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, 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 that's amazing. He's just got uh, that this. That might be the best. <laughs> yeah. It's like. Yeah, spoiler for my best. <laughs> oh, I, man, it's so good. I giggled uncontrollably for a while uh, during that scene. Oh, man. Um, and then <laughs> let's see what else do. Oh, then I just wrote, uh, you know, uh, the only thing that felt like an after school special, but in space was the idea where, and I hate when this happens, but it's like, uh, you know, I wrote really the entire planet is addicted. Really? Oh, yeah. Question mark. You know, like I, I don't buy that where it's like, oh, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, they got a space disease, and then, you know, everybody's got to preemptively take it so they can quarantine. No, but, I mean, 200 years. I, I mean, go with you on that. Like, somebody hasn't gotten, like, trapped in a cave, right? Somebody hasn't gotten anything happened to them where they got quarantined themselves from society for three days. Yeah. And then came out of it and was like, hey, I didn't die. So, no, here is here is one of my little takeaways. There's two options. One, that's never happened, unlikely. Or two, it kills you to not to withdraw from this drug. Or like turns you into an insane person or something like that. So either they're all just gonna die, or it's gonna turn into like a Mad Max planet in about two weeks. <laughs> either implication well, kinda scary. At the same time, yeah. though, uh, genetically speaking, they would probably have some people who were either more or less tolerant to this as well, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Right, so and there might they might have people who it doesn't work on, right? Maybe. Uh, uh, that's one of the big things in medicine that um, that not all drugs work on all people, <laughs> and that's why uh, you know vaccines and things like that. That a lot of people have to get vaccinated that aren't at risk for it because you can't give that to other people who say yeah. are infants or elderly or have a natural um, aversion to the drug. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. you're going to have situations like that um, medically. Yeah. That make two hundred years really a stretch. Uh, of yeah. all the things in this episode, I think I, I let that go. Twenty? They say twenty years? Maybe two hundred years? Oh wow, no. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like this is a, an example of like <clears throat> really trying to distill down an idea to make it basic enough to get across in the runtime of the episode. Yeah. Whereas, like uh, later in Trek, like even Deep Space Nine, like has some really good episodes that deal with. Um, organized crime like the Orion Syndicate and, and uh, you know s topics that are kind of close to this where people are trafficking in people or drugs or you know murder or what have you but they're just so much more incredibly nuanced because it's not like right. well what if there's a whole planet of people that are on drugs it's like well that doesn't make any sense <laughs> but what if there was think about it so I had one more tiny little note uh -huh. and it was they finish up the story and, they, and, and according to the runtime they had basically showed up and they're moving in to study this super cool star thing that there's a whole point they came there. They wrap it up and they're like, all right, solar study, whatever, and just leave immediately. <laughs> it's like, huh. 
Go back to the star. What are you talking about? They leave immediately cool to sun, go guys. literally someplace where they're like, I don't know what's there. You know, because Jordy was like, we've never been there before. Cool. Punch yeah. it. You yeah. Know? Picard's like, take us somewhere. Where? I don't care. Anybody would be here. Just anywhere yeah. else. <laughs> this yeah, place exactly. is so over. Yeah. Oh, man. So. Um, do we have, do we want to jump right now to, uh, to our bests and worsts or? I, I, I think so. I think so. I'm yeah. ready. Yeah. So yeah, I got else. as our guest, Jeremiah, uh, what's your best? What's your worst? My best absolutely was going to be Riker's acting while he's being tased. But <laughs> Can we all just say that that's our first best and then we're going to have another one? <laughs> yes. Agreed. It was, it was tremendous. I think it's got to go for the single tier of the Yarwave as, you know, in the background. Paul, I recommend you go back and watch it because it's, I thought it was just going to be like a little one little hand wave, just sort of a sort of not easy to notice. But she like goes from like standing and like you can see she's waiting for it, and then she waves frantically like bye. <laughs> like it's it's really sad, but nice. I liked I liked it tremendously. I will go Super back and cute. watch it. Yeah. Super cute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, your worst. Um, I think just the 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 overacting. <laughs> Yeah, like the the when the governor calls up from the planet, he's like, "Man, where are the drugs, man? <laughs> you, we're dying, man!" Like it's like, okay, pull it back just a little bit, just a little bit. And he starts in with the complications, where he's like, "Well, some stuff. Can, I don't care about that, man. We I can't even listen stuff. to you, man." <laughs> like it just it's just that that first season TNG of just it's a little too much. It's a little too Logan's Run. It's a little too backwards bumpkins. It's a little too druggy. It's just make it a little more subtle and it would have been I think improved tremendously yeah agreed. that's it, agreed. That's it. Uh, Paul how about you best and worst um, my best is the core of this idea right the, the, the core here of having these two um, I guess if we're going to toss out the title symbiotic even though they kind of talk about how that's not quite right, right. Um, these two cultures who um, have really developed hand in hand and one has become super specialized in a way that they realistically can't get out of. Um, and that they are, it would be very difficult for them to, um, to give up what they have um, to make the life on the other planet easier. Um, and it's the allegory here, the, the, the idea here can be applied to so many things. This is such a strong allegory that they build here um, that it makes sense in so many places. Um, but the problem, and I'll just jump into my words, is that there's so much window dressing on this. There's so much else that they try to, to put in here. Um, that it, to some degree, even like the solar flare stuff at the beginning, like all of this stuff, all of this stuff with the ship and all of that, the, the core of this idea is really good. And they don't spend enough time on it. They, they get Picard to the end and he has had no time to be conflicted. Right? He just... He was going to give him these coils, and then he figured out this thing, and then he wasn't. And Beverly has problems with it, but Picard's just like, no, this is just what I'm doing. And you don't get to see him be conflicted, because there's just not enough time. Because they've spent so much time on all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. I would have to say my best is actually... um, I would agree with your note on Picard for most of the episode right up until the very end because I feel like even though you don't get to see him be conflicted you get to see him drop the hammer like a boss from the moment where he turns and looks at them and goes 
there goes the other shoe. I'm like, bang, he's in, he knows what's up, and he's got something cooking. It's yeah. uh, when he's talking to the, the sexy Logan's Run aliens, and it's very clear that not only are they in on it, that they know that that the backwoods bumpkins are are addicted to the smack, the space smack that they're peddling, but uh, that they've been nefariously manipulating them over the years. It's building to that moment where he uses the prime directive uh, to against them both, basically, to just say, yeah. "Look, this is I. My hands are tied." And well, the scene specifically. Guess- well, yeah. One one other real quick note on that, real quick. The the scene specifically where they turn the Logan's run aliens turn and they're like, you can't do that. And he just turns to them and says, you didn't protest so much when this was working in your favor. I was like, ha ha bam. Yes. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that was highly satisfying. I thought, but at the same time, I guess what I'm saying is that that's kind of a cop out, right? That Picard doesn't have a hard choice there. Cause he realizes, Oh, I could just not give him these things and it'll work out the way I want it to even though I don't have to decide what to do with these drugs or take them away or give them or tell them that these are drugs and not medicine, um, that if this episode ended and Picard had to make the choice to just keep things at stasis, uh, stasis quo, status quo, um, that would be a harder choice and he would be more conflicted. Sure. Right? He, he very early is like, oh, well, I'll just do that. That solves my problem. It's more of a problem-solving issue than an ethical issue. Right. Mm, I don't think that he was very early on like that. I think it was pretty close to the end when he was like, "All right." And at the end, I like his speech at the end because he says, "There is no choice here. This is the thing I have to do." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but he didn't have to do the thing he didn't want to do. He got to do the thing he wanted to do. I guess is what I'm saying. Well, but I think I think given his, I, I mean, because what I thought was very effective about. Um, I wrote in all caps, DAT ELEVATOR RIDE. Uh, and yeah, you guys heard yeah, me watching yeah. it at the end. But the, the elevator ride with, uh, with Beverly and, and uh, Captain Ricard, um, I felt like it was really the two sides of this ethical discussion playing out, right? Because Beverly got to be the compassionate one, and Picard had to be the, the rational one, and they were basically talking about it. Because I think in a perfect world and in a perfect situation, I think Picard would have wanted to do what, what Dr. Crusher was talking about, which is to to give them the space methadone or whatever to help ease them out of, out of these terrible withdrawals. But I think, you know, his point was that you know, I, I, I don't think I don't think that situation was easier just because the prime directive kind of dictated what they had to do in in a lot of situations i feel like it makes it harder and i think that scene kind of underscored that right that like look this sucks we really want to help these people because they're clearly getting taken advantage of but we're able to kind of get this win um but still adhere to our principles yeah it feels we, like a loophole mm, i think it's 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 picard gets to I think that conversation for me was short term versus long term i think they're both compassionate and both logical but if Beverly's looking at the short term and Picard's saying, look, the whole point of the prime directive is take a step back. Think about 200 years from now. What is this going to do? Right. And let's think of the bigger consequences longer down the road. And he's saying, you know, this is how we have to act now if you have this long view. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. what about. OK, let's think about the long view here. If, if the Federation comes back, say, you know, they, they figure this out. They, their ships all break down and they can't get the stuff and then they all go through withdrawal 
and then they get over it and then they go back to making ships and stuff the next time the federation comes back they're gonna be like hey did you know they were doing this and they're gonna be like yeah we just couldn't tell you and it's like well you guys are kind of jerks right yeah but it's not like, about it's not, what's best for the Federation. I, I, I get that. But it, it's still kind of a weird, like, there's not a long game um, that's good here all, all, in all cases. Because they could well, also go to Civil War in a lot of ways. The thing is, they just don't know what the long game is. Yeah. Yeah. That's the exactly. point. You have no idea what's going to happen. And the yeah. long game is to stay out of the way and let it occur, right? Yeah. To, to let it happen naturally. Which, you know, again, I think what was nice about the resolution of this episode was... If you think about it, had the Enterprise not been there, that entire freighter would have basically burned up and this would have played out the way that it is going to play out anyway, just yeah. sooner because they wouldn't have gotten their yeah. their next yeah. shipment of Felicium and they would have just all wigged out, had withdrawals, and then gone, oh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess I'm just, so I'm saying there's kind of three ways it could have played out. They could have gone Beverly's way, gone Picard's way, or gone the way of just telling them and and you know having um get, taking the drugs and just destroying them or something like that yeah, yeah. um and i'm sorry the third way would have been just leaving things alone sorry um and fixing their ships um so in the uh, logan's run people's favor um and to not have that third one really on the table just takes away from picard's choices and I don't know how much, because you still want a happy ending, and maybe that's the big part. But I think it loses something that Picard could have had in terms of a bigger struggle, even if his choice was always going to be the prime directive. Well, I mean, without rewriting the episode, though, I don't think there's a way that you can oh, make that true, resolve true. any other right. way. Very you know? true. Yeah. Right. Um, I didn't talk during your guys' best. God. Uh, I was very, very polite. <laughs> my, my best was talking during Burns' best. <laughs> My worst was the quadruple cheese pizza that we got served up of of all of the camp in this episode, which which threatened to to infringe on my enjoyment of it several times, right. um, especially when we got to the planet of the drug addicts. And I was like, really? The whole yeah. planet? I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a few points in this episode where where either the the broad brushes that they paint with or the overacting or the cheese factor like threatens to stretch this episode beyond its, its credibility. Um, but I feel like it, it recovers if only just, um, so now having said that, what's our up or down vote on this one being added to our watch list for, for all the newbies out there. Is this a recommend? I, I absolutely think this is a recommend. Yes. Paul think i'm gonna say yes too i'm gonna say yes also that which is a surprising <sighs> all the way around i was actually coming into this one thinking i was going to give it a pass um but yeah. in watching it i feel like for the reasons that we discussed i i feel like our discussion did a really nice job of rounding out mm. ultimately justifying it but also saying yeah okay but but prepare yourself but honestly if you're going to survive any stint through star trek and you can't handle a, a quadruple cheese pizza then then you're you're in the wrong series i don't know what yeah, to tell you that's true it's, it's not getting better <laughs> i mean it's gonna get better eventually but it's not gonna get better soon yeah, I mean, yeah. if only to watch Riker get tased you gotta watch this episode. oh yeah, yeah actually yeah i don't know why i hesitated yes watch this exactly uh jeremiah always fun to have you on the show thanks once again tremendous do you have uh, anything you particularly want to plug or uh or or not so much 
Oh, and just support your local libraries. That's all. Excellent. I love it. Until <laughs> next time, uh, don't do drugs and stay at the library. I'm Jason. I'm Paul. And uh, hopefully your space freighter doesn't break down. I just power it with your own electricity. <laughs> oh, <laughs> loophole. Nice. <laughs> Captain, we're beaming over to replacement coil. That's great. And that'll fix us up. Yes, once it's installed. Right. And how do we do that? What is the matter with these people?